0: Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts: Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter.
1: Episode one hundred and twenty-six, recorded on July fourteenth, twenty twenty-one. The Cloud Pod gives Amazon money in advance. Good evening, Ryan, Matthew, and Sarah. Welcome back. Thanks. Thank you. Hi. There. We uh, we have a weird travel week this week with Peter out. I'm actually in Utah this week. Uh, Ryan's around at his house where he never leaves. I never and leave, Jonathan yeah. Jonathan's still on vacation, so we had to kind of fill in the void here for recording. So we uh we, we grab Sarah, we grab because they want to do a happy hour. So welcome to the happy hour where we're gonna do the <laughs> cloud pod <laughs> instead. Surprise. <laughs> happy hours the cloud. Yeah. Pod. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be will be fun. We'll we'll go, we'll get through it together as friends. Or maybe not friends at the end. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, For those of you who know, uh, Amazon has a new CEO as of last week. Adam Slipsky, who was former CEO of Tableau, uh, has joined. And there's been a couple of interesting articles in the information uh, about the bureaucracy of AWS. And apparently, since uh, he left in 2016 to join Tableau, the bureaucracy has only increased uh, with new salespeople and sales leadership, including Greg Pearson, uh, forcing the teams to write. You know, very large papers and documents and QBRs, uh, and I've actually heard this from some of our sales reps in the past too. That there's a lot of uh, documentation required and bureaucracy, even though they don't, you know, they don't get billed or paid on, you know, what you sell or buy on Amazon Web Services. Amazon still is trying to predict and kind of understand what's going on, and so that's what Adam is inheriting. And the question is going to be, what does he kind of bring back from Tableau and bring back to AWS? So it's going to be interesting to see kind of what happens the next few weeks. You know, it's been pretty quiet since Silski started. I suspect we won't hear much from him until maybe even reinvent. Uh, but maybe we'll see something a little earlier than that. We'll,
2: we'll only time will tell. Yeah, I'd be surprised if we heard anything. You know, this year, even you know, a lot of these things take the you know just monumental timescales to actually achieve and see fruition where they're talked about publicly. Internally, they'll see it much, you know, maybe by the end of the year, they'll start seeing stuff, but it'll be interesting. A lot of that culture of working backwards and, and that has led to a lot of those bureaucratic processes. And so it's, it's interesting to see what they'll keep and what they'll change.
1: Yeah, I've actually been reading the "Working Backwards" book from you know from some former Amazon employees who work for Jeff, and uh, it's interesting because you know they have they have their opinions about how they see things, and so you know bureaucracy is definitely not something Amazon's really big on. Um, but you know as a company gets so big uh, and to the scale of employees that Amazon has, it starts getting more difficult to keep order. Uh, even more so than it was, you know, when there's twenty thousand employees, and hundreds of thousands of employees, it's a big problem. Communication's hard.
3: Yeah, anyone at that scale is going to have to have processes everywhere. And you know, I have a few friends that have started at Amazon over the last couple of years, and hearing about the differences of these people starting versus my friends that started even back in 2011. You know, they're like the processes around onboarding or getting access or doing anything along those lines is weeks long, in or- versus the days that it used to be.
1: Yeah, I, I have a friend who's a solutions architect. Six months before he could even talk to a customer, <laughs> and you know, I had to get a bunch of certifications and training done. Uh, it's it's kind of crazy what they go through as new employees before they even start talking to a customer.
3: Well, they actually have to do. I think it's like three rounds of fake meetings with customers before they actually can do a real one. So, like your team acts as a customer at different levels, and you have to do like practice at this level, then practice at this level of communication, and then present. You know, based on these problems. And then before you can even actually like work with real customers. I mean,
1: the customers don't listen to the solutions architects anyway, so I'm not sure it really
2: matters.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, apparently there might be uh, too many cooks in the security kitchen. Uh, This great article from darkreading.com, which Sarah brought to our attention. Uh, Darkreading.com is a security kind of blog website where you can get all kinds of security news if you're in that space. Uh, But apparently, uh, according to a study commissioned uh, by Fastly, by ESG Research, nearly half of all daily security alerts are false positives, according to the research. And most organizations, an equal amount of time on false positives as on legitimate attacks, uh, and that's a crazy amount of wasted resources and time. Uh, and that might be driven by the fact that organizations, on average, apparently, are using 11 web app and API security tools, and they spend $2.6 million on them each year. Uh, that's quite a bit of security tools. Uh, I've actually been in companies that have had to have more than that, <laughs> some that have had less, uh, but there's always seems to be another agent that I need to install on a server uh, at the end of the day. And there is a good quote here from Kelly Shortridge, senior principal at Fastly. What's the, what's the point in securing the business if you're just hamstringing its operations? point is to help them operate safely. And I I agree with his his intent here, but I do think there's friction for friction's sake and there's enabling the business securely.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. I guess I should say something now. Um, Here, I'll
3: start you off. Any company I've ever, I've worked with, you know, being that I've worked with many companies, always have all these security tools and like, yeah, while I understand security tools are accurate, the amount of companies I see that install all of them and then just they all go to an email list that nobody ever checks, or an inbox that nobody checks, or unsubscribes if it goes to an SNS topic. You know, it just kind of falls by the wayside. And then about three years later, somebody goes, Why are we paying for this tool that nobody ever looks at the results of?
4: Yeah. And to add to that, too, there are really like two different camps of um, security folks, right? You've got the first camp that, you know, just loves the shiny new tool, right? It has all the greatest and latest and it, all the bells and whistles, and it just promises to fix all of your security issues, right? Um, and then, you know, you've you've got those individuals that just go ahead and you know want to sign up and spend spend the money without actually looking at um, the security risks or what they're trying to um, what they're trying to solve, right? They don't actually have a clear picture of those business use cases or those security use cases. They're just trying to solve a quick problem that's been sold to them. Versus the other side that actually has those use cases built out so that they know the problem that they're trying to solve um, and what they're trying to remediate. And at times you get, um, and I've worked at companies that do this, right? It's the newest, latest, and greatest tool they want installed. And then you have 10, 12, 15, 20 agents installed on either a laptop, a server, whatever have you, and they compete and they fight. And um, it's really hard to troubleshoot, right? So in the end, they end up turning off most of the agents because it just sucks up resources. And then you have all these false positives and there's so much time and energy wasted um, that the security team is really hindered in um, in any progress that they actually make. And actual um, alerts or potential vulnerabilities or breaches just kind of get tucked in with all of, of the noise. And it's not until, you know, a much later um, date and time that something is actually uncovered. So these tools often, um, I think, cause more issues, um, potentially than they do solve uh, real world problems.
2: And when they cause issues, they do so much damage to reputation um, that you can really undermine your security posture and your philosophy and, and really you know, alienate key business partners that you need to achieve success. And so it's it's definitely a struggle for security teams. Um, yeah, absolutely. When I make my millions, it's going to be uh, selling a tool to orchestrate. Like, it won't be a new security tool. It will be a tool to configure all the existing security tools in a pipeline fashion. That's, and then I'll be sending myself off into space like with the rest of the CEOs. Ryan in space. That's the big, great show.
3: (laughs) One thing that Sarah mentioned that uh, reminds me of monitoring a lot is she was saying that a lot, you get a lot of these false positives or false positives and then real alerts that nobody ever looks at. And I feel like you can draw that same correlation to monitoring tools, you know, back in the day, everyone wants a monitoring tool, you know, and there's a fine line. You know, it isn't just one set up these tools and they magically solve your problems. Cause if anybody's ever selling you that, it's just not true. Anything think you really need to, you know, tune and set up. And it's true with monitoring where you need to adjust your thresholds based on, you know, whatever your current loads are and what you expect, you know, and the same thing with monitoring too. Like you do adjust it. Like guard duty, I think in Amazon sends shows an alert every time I SSH to a box for one of my clients because. They work in a slightly older school manner where they have static boxes that we have staged to and it shows up as a finding every single time. And it's like, no, that's not a finding. It's real. So we've had to like go exclude those things from the alerts. And you know, these things are true with monitoring too. If you, you know, have certain things that are set up and they get too noisy, you just start ignoring them. And that to me is like a major problem with the way, you know, some of these security tools are set up is that they're sold as a. Just go install it and we've magically used, I don't know, machine learning and AI to solve all your problems and to automatically, dynamically figure out what everything should be. But in reality, they don't know your business use case. Yeah, they might be able to tweak it and adjust it based on whatever algorithms they've, they've created over the years, but you know, you still need to make them work for your team and your tools and your environment. And without doing that, you're just causing noise and. Pain and frustration, like Ryan and Sarah mentioned.
4: Yeah, alert fatigue, right? Just kind of like patching or um, vulnerability, patching fatigue as well, right? So it's kind of along those um, along those same lines.
1: I would say it's it's interesting to see you know the the team is typically the most understaffed in my opinion is the security team <laughs> and then you know if you go to from engineering then there's the cloud organizations or operational organizations they're typically much smaller than your engineering organization and then your security team is a fraction of that and so really all the problems that security is now running into with these alerting and tooling and all that is really the same problem that hit operations several years ago, which, you know, kind of birthplace SRE and DevOps and really this change kind of, you know, continuous pipelines and continuous integration. Um, And, you know, why there's this notion of DevSecOps out there, I think DevSecOps hasn't really taken off yet uh, because there's so few people who have the bandwidth to even think about how to make this world better. Uh, And again, it goes back to the fact these security teams are a fraction of the size of the overall organization. So they're always playing catch up.
3: I feel like uh the term I've seen on like job postings that are devsecops are like we install these automated tools in the pipeline and therefore, you know, we do it not to me where like a true devsecops would be like integrating automated testing in, you know, you know, even just general things like scanning OWASP, you know, top 10, you know, when you do a build, you know, that term devsecops to me is just like the new buzz term of like, oh, we want dev sec ops at our company because we'll secure everything if we have this role that's so called that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, the whole idea there is removing the security problem to the left and you know giving exposure to your dev team of these vulnerabilities. But yeah, that's probably the most mature part of it. But you know, there's still an SRE team at most companies that have automated away a lot of the automation parts, and those SRE teams are looking at a different perspective than the old monitoring teams of, of yesteryear did. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting challenge. Uh, I definitely. You know, I think there needs to be some rationalization on these tools. Um, I think there should be ROIs and KPIs and metrics of like, you know, hey, you spend a million dollars on a tool. You know, how many false positives did it have? How many positives, you know, did it have? What did it prevent? And what's the ROI on these things? And what's the investment look like in the future? Because I don't think we hold the security vendors accountable enough in many cases. All right, well, let's move to AWS news uh, for this week. So first up is uh, a problem that if you're familiar with it, you're going to be really happy. And if you're not familiar with this problem because you just use the console, uh, you probably won't care. But basically, if you've ever used the CLI to modify security group rules... Uh, You know that that is a major nightmare where you have to specify all the rules in very long detail and you can't reference them and it's a big pain in the butt, (laughs) really, at the end of the day. And so Amazon's fixing that for us this week with the new security group uh, rule IDs, uh, which are unique in each AWS region. And as part of this, you have added two new API actions, including describe security group rules and modify security group rules to the VPC APIs. And the benefit of this new security group rule ID is simplifying your CLI commands. For example, uh, revoking security group Egress rules now can be done with a Really simplified solution, but just specifying the group rule ID itself, which is so much easier. And then the second benefit is, for those of us who still run on-premise world uh, infrastructure and maybe have a bastion host that they want to connect to their Amazon infrastructure, um, you typically would end up having a rule in all of your security groups that say, allow this specific IP address uh, to connect to my VPC uh, from my on-prem environment. And then when that host ever changed or you built a new one, uh, you had to go actually modify all those security groups, which were hard to find because there's really no way to query Um, that particular Security Group rules, uh, but now they support tagging of this as well. So as you do your Security Group rule ID, you can then tag it and say, this is the Bastion IP address, uh, and then you can go search for those and find all the locations where you need to update your code, which is very nice.
2: Yeah, I I remember the first time that I ran into this was was trying to import resources into a Terraform state, and you realize just how on the back end security group rules were such a second class citizen. That you're trying to import a rule by saying ingress underscore twenty two, some magic code that you had to decode into port, you know, like and then you know it's just, it was this horribly long string just to identify the single rule. So it's it's this is a a thing that a lot of people will be eagerly awaiting. I, I'm really curious to see if you can do things like optimization, where you can reference, you know, security group rule many times across multiple uh, security groups, and so really simplify a lot of your your ecosystem by having maybe a catalog of rules that you apply selectively.
1: Or even be able to push down from you know CSP centralized rules that you want in every security group or you know those security tools <laughs> that need to have access to boxes, uh, you know. So I think there's a lot of you know I think it's kind of the beginning steps of maybe something more interesting that's been coming a little bit later. But you know, still for those of us who've had to do this on CLI, I think it's a huge savings of time, which is
3: great. Yeah, it's going to be a massive savings because I I ran into the same thing when you know a Terraform apply up worked worked but then we were missing the state file because somebody didn't set up a backend properly and we were importing i don't know like 500 resources and we got down to the rules and then there was a very long afternoon of copy pasting figuring out what the rules were to where and how to put it in the you know ridiculous format that terraform has had to do to import it so i'm very much looking forward to seeing how actually terraform actually can leverage this too
1: As you guys know, uh, Amazon forked uh, Elasticsearch in a hard fork uh, a few months back, and we talked about it, and they talked about the challenges they have getting to an OpenSearch uh, 1.0 release, which OpenSearch is their their fork of Elasticsearch. And so they have now apparently finished that work uh, with the official OpenSearch 1.0 release. Uh, so we assume to see, I expect we'll start seeing this in Elasticsearch service or OpenSearch service on AWS as well in the next few months. Uh, but this is the first production-ready version per AWS. Uh, in addition to being production-ready, they have multiple enhancements uh, for it, including data streams, trace analytics, span filtering, report scheduling, and many more, uh, as well as they invested pretty heavily in the CI/CD backend to be able to enable people to test and to contribute to the OpenSearch code uh, much more easily, which is great. So uh, There's an official blog post on the OpenSearch.org uh, website, which is nice. I didn't know they had an actual dedicated site, uh, and they did highlight some of the things as well uh, around compatibility with APIs, ARM support, open uh, OpenSearch dashboards, all kinds of great stuff, and with many, many more things coming down the pipe uh, in the future, including support for all ARM types, uh, including Linux ARM, Mac OS ARM, Mac uh, Windows 64, et cetera, so you can run OpenSearch anywhere, as well as additional security investments, including granular security for index state management via SAML. Uh, and several observability features like bucket level alerting all coming very soon. So do check that out. They do have an open uh, you know dashboard of what their releases are going to be and what they're working on. And the next big uh, release is going to be one point one, which will come out on August thirty, which will include improvements to anomaly detection and indexing pressure protection. Which uh, is interesting to me because indexing pressure is one of the biggest challenges with Elasticsearch.
2: You get the impression that Amazon is handling this open source project a little differently than you know they've handled some previous. So they're definitely, you know, investing in the community and definitely using this as a, you know, uh, at least like projecting their idea of what maybe open source development should look like. It's interesting. And I'm, I will continue to watch this one and see how it develops.
3: Yeah, the nice thing about it is that they've uh, actually developed you know, a lot of the CI/CD for it. So what that should mean is they're able to you know, hopefully quickly iterate and actually enable the community to develop for it. Um and hopefully, you know, things like EKS, where I feel like they're perpetually six, eight, feel like growing, not shrinking, even though they stated they well, a long time ago, they were going to try to shrink that gap, you know, hopefully they can get people to develop and get the code out quickly. And I think that that will actually help, you know, the community be excited for it, knowing, oh, I committed this feature and oh, it's actually in there now in the, you know a short time period versus
2: in six, eight months. Yeah, it's a little political maneuvering, too, since that was one of the key criticisms faced by Elastic was the open source contribution was a little less than ideal. Like you never had any visibility into that process. And sometimes you were just left in the dark answering the, the automated bottom, whether or not you still cared about this PR. So, yeah, so it's a it's a smart move. I still haven't seen much uh,
1: talk about what they're doing about beats, if they're going to fork beats as well, because initially they were not going to, but then it sounded like, you know, Elasticsearch basically pulled the rug out from underneath them on that too. So I wouldn't be surprised to see (laughs) that also get forked at some point in the future as well. All right. Well, uh, if you have a ton of money uh, that you spend on your Amazon bill, and for some reason you don't know how to earn interest or grow that money in a savings account, uh, you can give it to Amazon, who will store it for you and put it in their deferred <laughs> revenue bucket. With allow, because they now allow you to prepay uh, for your Amazon usage in advance uh, and to pay for all your future invoices. So once you add funds to Advance Pay, AWS will automatically use them to pay for your invoices when they come due for payment. Uh, using advanced Pay is easy. You can register Advanced Pay from the Payments page of the Billing and Cost Management console and you'll provide it your banking route information and then you can give Amazon your money for free with no interest so there you go governments are government agencies are super happy with this feature Uh, that's the only people I can think of who you know have a situation where they have a budget if they don't use it they'll lose it Uh, that's the only place where this probably makes sense and if you are thinking about doing this do talk to your financial team uh, before committing your funds uh, (laughs) because you get in a lot of trouble if they don't aren't unaware what you're doing
4: (laughs) You think they would offer like some steep discount or something for paying
1: it? Well, you know, it's an interesting thing. If you're doing an EDP uh, and you're prepaying an EDP, they do give you some discounts. Uh, but there was no mention of that if you're using this feature. So um, I, I'm sure there's a use
2: case somewhere where somebody just like, I just want to put money in the account, and not worry about it. But that's uh, not my use case. I know someone asked for it. I just don't want to go find whoever that is and ask <laughs> them a series of questions. Right. Well, AWS is lowering
1: the data processing charge for PrivateLink, which is great. Uh, effective July 1st, uh, the new pricing tiers go into effect. And so if you are using uh, PrivateLink to enable access to AWS services without using a NAT gateway or uh, Internet gateway, uh, you can now get a discount if you're using more than. Uh, Basically, one petabyte to four petabytes per month, you'll get a discount uh, from a penny per gigabyte uh, to uh, six one-hundredths of a penny for up to four petabytes. And anything over four petabytes will cost you only four one-hundredths of a penny. So there you go. Uh, So this is just some customers saying, hey, we're sending a lot of data through private link. We want a discount (laughs) versus paying just a penny per gig for everything.
3: Which makes sense because they, you know, a couple of weeks or months ago, can't keep tracking COVID time they added the S3 endpoint versus the S3 gateway. And I have a couple of customers that are like, we need this right now. And I'm like, sitting here going, you're going to pay more than if you use the gateway. But if you're going to argue with me for hours about it, then sure, why not? We'll help you set that up. Um, but at least now, in theory, they'll get a little bit of savings, You know, where before they were paying that flat rate of a cent per gigabyte.
1: Especially, which is annoying, because most of the time that traffic traverses the Amazon network and <laughs> stays in the Amazon network. So it was always kind of annoying to pay that anyways, but to see a direction in price there, I think is always good. Well, uh, A feature that is all about solving a security problem, (laughs) with no mention of the security problem it solves, has come out with the Amazon CloudFront uh, APIs to locate and move alternate domain names or CNames. Uh, So basically, these two new APIs for CloudFront are available including list conflicting aliases and associate alias, which help locate and move alternate domain names if you encounter the CName already exist error code. These new APIs let you see which distribution has a CName and move the CName to a target distribution, as long as the source distribution is in the same account or if the source distribution is another account that is disabled. Uh, To move a CNAME between accounts where the source distribution is still enabled, you must contact AWS Support and follow the steps. Uh, The list conflicting list API allows you to identify a given CNAME, either a specific subdomain or a wildcard, and return a list of CNAMEs that match or overlap that CNAME. The API also returns corresponding but partially obfuscated information with the distribution ID and account ID where each CNAME is located to facilitate follow-up investigations. Uh, the associate alias API enables you to move a given CNAME to target distribution as long as the two distributions are in the same account or the source distribution is disabled, as I mentioned before. In addition to these new APIs, the introduction of the domain validation, April 2019, CloudFront no longer returns the CNAME already exists error code in scenarios involving a cross-account wildcard CNAME. For example, now you can have a wildcard CNAME such as star.example.com on a distribution account A and a specific subdomain such as test.example.com on a distribution account B, uh, which is all about solving the number one hacker <laughs> rank uh, Vulnerability, which is, the, they find hanging CNAME records, uh, and then create sites in CloudFront and or S three static website hosting, and then spoof you uh, and use your site for phishing. So, uh, terrible use case. It's all over the place, and so this is just Amazon c- silently fixing a major security
2: flaw. Yeah, the associate alias is interesting because that means that you can scan. Scan for all those, you know, disconnected resources, and then just park it, right? So you can map to your own distribution, or and so it would be kind of funny to to set up your own internal sort of page, you know, maybe shaming. I don't know. Clean up your infrastructure. I've got a couple ideas. And I just
1: leave that Terraform state, and I lost track of it. Sorry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it actually
3: uh, is useful, not just for hacking and you know annoying other people, but we had a customer that was doing a migration from you know their www.client.com to you know a new cloudfront with a whole new set of rules as they redid all their backend and essentially when we did the cutover we had to remove it point it to the actual load balancer temporarily you know in the meantime to so modify the dns move everything and then put cloudfront back in front of it so it was like a three step process to move it where it looks like that this would actually enable you to solve the process so it cleans up some operational overhead of, you know, moving records from one to the other or C names from one to the other.
1: Well, if you are all about this local zone, uh, you now have two new ones, uh, which is, includes the Dallas and Philadelphia zones. These are both associated to the U.S. East 1 uh, region. Again, I I was questioning why they're only on the U.S. East 1, but I realized when I looked at the website that they're only going to U.S. East 1 or U.S. West 2. There's nothing pl- planned Uh, To go to US East Two. So, if you enjoyed the Burning Dumpster Fire US East One, you can now extend it to your local zone and lose (laughs) control to your access to your local zone. So there you go.
2: (laughs) What could go wrong? Only,
1: only everything. All right, Amazon SQS has a birthday today, 15 years, and still queuing. Well done pun there by Jeff nice. uh, Jeff Barr. Uh, it was announced originally in 2006 with the production launch, and is one of the oldest services after S3. Uh, last week, we talked about the Prime Day volume that it did, at 47.7 million messages per second, which is just absolutely crazy. Uh, and it was fun to kind of go down memory lane. There was a timeline here of some of the highlights of SQS, things that I just... Think are just part of it at this point because it's been so long. But you know, in 2009, SQS uh, launched in Europe uh, three years after it launched in the U.S. With the launch of access policy language, which was the underpinnings of IAM. So you know, if you if you hate IAM, you can blame SQS for that. So <laughs> uh, in 2010, it was one of the first services to get a free tier. In 2013, it it got an increased payload to 256 kilobytes and a 50% price reduction. In 2014, it got dead letter queues, which I thought was there almost on release. So the fact that it came almost... yeah, you know, almost eight years later kind of blew my mind. And then FIFO queues in twenty sixteen, encryption on the server side in twenty seventeen with cost allocation tags, one minute metrics in twenty twenty one, and tiered pricing and high throughput mode for FIFO all coming this year as well. Uh, so you know, a lot of a lot of use cases for SQS, uh, if you are not just trying to go do Kafka because you like complexity. SQS <laughs> is your
2: solution. <laughs> yeah, I know this is it this just makes me feel old. Uh, <laughs> the services that I'm using are, you know, in the double digits of age. Uh But yeah, no, it's I I love the the milestones. I think that's a cool add to the blog post because it does sort of jog the memory on like, oh yeah, I remember when that came out. Or it didn't have it. That, that's part that I was kind of blows my mind. I don't,
1: I never remember not
2: having that. But uh, you know, again, I think most of us have really
1: gotten to cloud in the last eight or nine years. So, you know, 2006, most of us weren't even thinking of cloud. Yeah, it was a fad. Sure. It was a fad of the hippies were doing. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I remember my boss talking to me about using AWS in 2011. I was like, but there's no security. Everything just has to be open to the world. And we're doing corporate IT and everything needs to be behind our firewall because that's where it needs to be for security because we're a compliant related company. So, you know, now it's like the world has flipped on its head and everything I said back in 2011 was 100% wrong.
1: Well, that was actually in the days of classic VPC too, right? Where, you know, the whole dream was you're just going to use security groups for everything. And, you know, could you imagine the complexity of some of the infrastructures now if you just had security groups and no
3: VPCs? <laughs> it would never have worked. I did remember doing a EC2 classic to EC2 VPC migration. I did two of them. Both of them we just did in the Big Bang because it was before they released the connector. So it was, ended up having to do everything all at once. <laughs>
1: Well, we're going to pause here for an ad as Matt maybe goes and deals with his dog for two seconds.
0: <laughs> hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008. They are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud, under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash the cloud www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn. The promise of cloud delivered.
1: All right, moving on to GCP. Uh, they have announced the general availability of the Certificate Authority Service, or Google Cloud CAS, uh, because that's not a terrible name. Google Cloud CAS provides a highly scalable and available private CA to address the unprecedented growth in certificates in the digital world. And since going into preview in October, several customers have tried it out with very positive things, including Jason Roberts, security engineer at Credit Karma. Uh, Credit Karma, security is a top priority, and we always seek ways to improve our security posture. One area where we have been working with Google for more than a year now is the identity of our workloads and how we can leverage platform features to offload to cloud some of the time-consuming tasks that our security and DevOps teams need to run today. We're very happy with progress that GCP has made in addressing our feedback, and we believe CA service is a fundamental piece of building a strong identity story in the cloud. So there you go. Uh, Features in the class uh, for the GA, uh, CA rotation, where they basically allow you to rotate your CA uh, before the certificate expires with a pool functionality, uh, which is actually pretty neat. I don't think I've seen that from other vendors. Uh, more control over certificate issuance policy with the GA. They're enhancing their policy allow per user group policies to be defined. Additional features including a Terraform provider for Google Cloud CAS, which is always great. Certificate Manager now works with Google Cloud CAS and works with Jetstack to create an integration with CertManager.io for fully automated lifecycle management with Kubernetes. They also have a built-in a Vault plugin that allows the use of Vault to be the source of policies and Google Cloud CAS to be a certificate issuer. And if you're curious about how to make all this worth it, are gives you some great quick Labs uh, capabilities as well.
2: Pricing as simple as the pay-as-you-go model with a 99.9% SLA. It's pretty good and very competitive to the Amazon equivalent offering. You know, both in terms of price and functionality, that's great. Yeah, it's
1: pretty good. I like the uh, the 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 CA rotation feature. That's pretty nice. I don't I don't know that Amazon has a way to do that without having some interruption when you need to rotate your root keys. Yeah, I think so. All right, well, Cloud SQL for MySQL (laughs) is launching IAM database authentication. This basically allows you to uh, use your IAM credentials to access your IAM database, which is a great uh, zero-trust model opportunity. And so this is great to see. We've seen this on other cloud providers as well. Uh, Cloud IAM admins can reduce the administrative effort associated with managing passwords for each Cloud SQL database because it's all tied to Google
3: login. Can't wait to see this on the first security report next week. Of Hey, this isn't enabled and you're not using this in your application yet
2: turns out it's a lot harder to get those those database credentials out of your source code. So, you know, it, it's very a difficult. of
1: reviews. It's not a, it's not something that, you know, .NET or different things expected would be, you know, something you would want to dynamically grab at runtime. So they put them in, you know, INI files, and like, well, that INI file is not going to be something that's accessed from the internet, and then it gets misconfigured. Or, or, you know, your server gets hacked, and then the password's in the file, so it's not good either. So, you know, initially, when they designed it, it made sense, but reality is it's not good practice. Moving on to Azure, uh, if you're looking to enhance your cloud skills and accelerate your digital transformation, uh, Azure has a new Azure for IT uh, capability. It's a new online technical skilling program with resources designed for cloud professionals of all skill levels. Using the new resources to stay current on Azure best practices and get your questions answered by their technical experts so you can transform IT ops to drive business growth and innovation. Inside Azure for IT gives you access to ask the expert, expert sections, uh, sessions where their experts answer your most difficult cloud infrastructure questions, plus expert series videos that dive even deeper into best practices and demos. Um, so I like to sign up for this and ask, why would I choose Azure exactly? And, and then once they answer that question, I like to ask them, so which storage tier do I use? Ultra yeah, yeah. premium? Premium? Like, what's, what's the over-under on getting fired yeah. if I don't choose the ultra
3: premium? Well, how thick is your wallet? Is going to be their answer? <laughs> sure, you of know, course. If it's very thick, then you've know, you got to do the ultra premium I mean, blob storage.
2: I mean for IT, there's really only two players in the game. And so if you're already on Office 365, like this is this is how they I think they get a lot of you know new customers, especially in IT departments and companies. You know, because you're already using it effectively. And so now it's just, you know, move expanding on that.
3: Well don't they also give a lot of credits to I feel like a lot of times when I hear that you sign up for O365 or you get whatever their EDP pricing um, they call it something. Um, that you're able to, that they give you Azure credits to utilize too. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Part of their Definitely.
1: enterprise agreements, they give you lots of Azure credits. I mean, AMA, Microsoft's been big on enterprise agreements forever. So mm-hmm. that's, that's how they sell you a SQL Server too at millions of dollars per year. <laughs> so they might as well give you some Azure for free.
3: I mean, hopefully they get some, some more people that actually know their environments. I mean, that knows Azure because they are, you know, still not as widely used as Amazon. So hopefully that they're able to get, you know, more people that know it and get more hype around it and get more people up to date on their skills so that they're able to expand their cloud and keep competing. That growth has been, what I don't want to see is one just company that rules it all. And I think having at least the three of them right now, and if you want to throw in Oracle, we can call it four, you know, at least competing with each other and pushing each other to innovate. I
1: mean, the nice thing is Microsoft has been solid number two and they've been growing Pretty fast. You know, they don't break out their cloud revenue directly, but you know, for all intents and purposes, it's like they're growing at a faster clip than Amazon is right now. You know, which is is partially a problem of big numbers <laughs> because it's hard to you know multiply billions of dollars per year uh, at that level of growth. But you know, forty forty five percent is pretty standard for Azure. Uh, you know, thirty percent is pretty standard for Amazon right now. But um, you know continues to grow, they continue to keep everyone on their toes, and yeah Google's out there as a you know distant third, but a very aggressive distant third with a very good offering so it's uh it is still fun days in the cloud space it's not it's not amazon's to it's really amazon's to lose I'd say at this point.
4: I'm just wondering why we don't have a section for evoke no that's gonna be edited. So. <laughs>
1: We (laughs) talked about Evoke last week.
4: (laughs) Where's Evoke in there? In our multi-generational infrastructure. MGI.
1: All right. Well, next up is you can accelerate big data analytics with a Spark 3.0 connector for SQL server, because that makes a lot of sense that you would attach Spark to SQL server. Uh, Azure is announcing the GA of Spark 3.0, compatible Apache Spark connector for SQL server and Azure SQL. Uh, accessible via Maven. The Spark 3.0 compatible connector went into preview earlier this year, and since then, we ha- they have seen tremendous customer adoption and received helpful customer feedback. The Apache Spark connector for SQL Server is a high-performance connector that enables users to use transactional data in big data analytics and persist results for ad hoc queries for reporting. So basically, they is saying, use that, Spark stuff to do the query, but then dump it all into SQL. (laughs) Great. Uh, Notable features and benefits from the connector. Compatible, of course, to Spark 3.0. Support for all Apache Spark bindings, including Scala, Python, and R. And then basic
2: authentication, AD tab, and Azure Active Directory support. So you'd be surprised how much that use case of dumping the the big data job results into a database is like, it's very common. Um, It is very common. It it cracks me up. It's another sort of indication that SQL rules the world, because that's that's the technology and the language that everyone's familiar with working with. And so it immediately goes into a, some sort of da- relational
3: database. Well, think about how many NoSQL databases that everyone wants to query with SQL. And <laughs> that's how you, how know, many shims that's how you and know it, to make it work.
1: <laughs> that's how you know all NoSQL arrives it gets it's a SQL yeah. interface. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, It's not a true NoSQL solution until it has a SQL implementation. Yeah. All right, well, if you're thinking about doing privilege identity management with Azure Lighthouse, uh, it now enables the ability to do zero trust as well. Uh, Microsoft, of course, investing heavily in Azure Lighthouse, and Azure Lighthouse makes it easier for service providers to automate their management of customer infrastructure. At the same time, it provides a fine-grained access control that places the customer in charge of which resources are available to which service provider. So you know, this is a great opportunity for you know, someone like Foghorn who needs to have access something in your account. They would request that via... The lighthouse, the lighthouse interface, uh, and then basically that get approved by the customer. Uh, that all then allows them to be able to access it either permanently or on some least privileged opportunity and its temporary credentials just like you do with any, any other uh, SSO-type implementation.
3: It would be nice, I don't know if it has it or not, I haven't honestly read the blog post too deeply, but one of the features I've seen, um, I don't know who it is, has it, where you can create somebody a role they can assume and Yes, it's SSO based, so it's time based, but then also it automatically removes that whole permission set after so long. So you can give somebody, you know, a key, you know, your keys are good for an hour, but you know, the whole permission sets only good for, you know, seven days. So the end of those seven days, you know, that whole role moves away, which is, you know, very useful when you're debugging something. You can give somebody access for a period of time and knowing that you already put the kill switch in there in case you forgot to actually remove it in advance.
1: Yeah, I, don't, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Azure doesn't have something like that because they have a lot of MLAI to fix security groups and firewall policies for not being used. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure who that might be at this point. Well, if you're using uh, VMware on Azure, you now have the ability to leverage Azure Disk Storage with Azure Pools. Uh, this With this announcement, you can gain flexibility of your data needs with a scalable and cost-effective cloud storage for your VMware. This pool is an Azure service that surfaces an Internet Small Computer Systems Interface, or iSCSI, uh, endpoint for all underlying disks. And then you connect that disk to your VMware data store and create VMDK and VMFS file systems on top of that. This is a great use case for data-intensive workloads that need a lot of data throughput and disaster recovery solutions as well. So I think we talked about this with an Oracle. We did, I, I did a thing on Oracle and front up a server that was really cool. They had iSCSI. I didn't realize that Azure had iSCSI as well. Um, I'm not sure if this is available to all services or if this is just available to VMware, but uh, having an iSCSI endpoint makes a lot of really cool use cases enabled uh, from SQL Server to all kinds of stuff. So great to see this in VMware, but overall it's a great service in general.
2: Yeah, so today I learned not only does Azure have an iSCSI thing, I learned what iSCSI stands for, which I never knew until just now. I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't know until he read yeah. it. That was actually going to be my comment. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I learned what iSCSI stood for
3: today.
1: I never knew it for either. It was, it was news to me when I read the show notes earlier today, too. I was like, huh, I didn't know that. So, yeah, good. Well, Matt, we're, we're going to put the burden of uh, running us through lightning round on you once again. So I know you learned last time that's a very hard job. Sarah, you can mock him mercilessly if he messes us up. Uh, but, you know, as, as typical rules of this work, there are no rules. Uh, and we're just going to comment something hopefully funny about each of the headlines that we have chosen here that we did not feel like talking about at length in the main show. Uh, that is the way the lightning around typically works. So, so Matt, good luck to you.
3: Thank you. All right, we'll start. AWS Cloud Map supports configuring negative caching for DNS queries.
1: That's about how I feel about Matt reading the show notes. Pretty negative.
3: <laughs> wow. Starting off strong. All Just... out <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. AWS Organization increases quotas for tag policies. I mean,
1: he already missed one. That's, that's <laughs> doing great.
3: I was going to jump around yeah, just to mess, mess with this you guys, you're actually paying attention. Uh, this is a new dynamic to the <laughs> game that I'm not
2: familiar with. Your well, quota I mean, I, for missing headlines has, you know, been increased. That's all indeed. I got. <laughs> I'm going to tag the headlines as we go through them. <laughs> Did we mention that the, the funny aspect was an air quote? Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Amazon text ec- extract announces improvements to detect... Wow, no. We're just going to that. <laughs> what? <laughs> Amazon Textract announces improvements to detect detection
2: of handwritten text, digits, dates, and phone numbers. Challenge accepted. If it can understand what I'm writing down when I'm using pen to paper, good luck. I mean, if
1: it could remind me what I was talking about when I wrote the note, that would help me out even more. Because I typically, once I can
2: decipher my own handwriting, I then don't know what the note actually meant. So that's my bigger problem. Yeah, man, if we can automate that, we could basically automate our ways out of existence. We could just drink Mai Tais all day. That'd be fantastic.
3: It'd be awesome. Amplify Flutter now supports null safety.
2: That's how I feel about this feature. I null all understanding of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard of safety third. I have not heard of null safety. That's pretty awesome. Somebody needs to play the safety
3: game. <laughs> <laughs> nice. AWS Shield Advance no longer requires AWS WAF logging.
1: Although when you have a security incident, they'll no longer be able to help you
2: because you turned off the logging. Yeah, that one's one's a little bit of a struggle. But, you know, Shield Advance is already a little bit of a black box to most people.
3: AWS Lambda now supports Amazon MQ for Rabin MQ as an event source.
2: I mean, an eventing system that uses an eventing source? Huh, weird. Wait for Lambda to sort of like, you know... Ruin the the SQS Quinceanera by like, no, we're going to support this other queuing service. Me.
3: <laughs> Amazon Kendra releases Web Crawler to enable web search. Oh, 1998 called. Website
2: search. 1998 <laughs> called. So wait, the this, this search engine is going to be able to query websites. You don't say.
1: So weird. And then you can you know, then you can you know put in your HD access file that you don't want their web crawler to crawl your site. You <laughs> no <know>. robots. <laughs> yeah, because it's taking down your site, you know, when it crawls your site because your system can't support it. Yeah, it nineteen ninety-eight called and we're yes. back there again. Wow.
2: Everything old is new again.
3: Amazon announces new AWS deep learning containers to deploy hugging face models faster on Amazon SageMaker.
2: I'm always in support of hugging face faster. <laughs>
1: nice. Unless it's, unless it's an alien hugging face, then you, yeah. probably don't wanna, you probably don't want that to be too fast because you want to get away. Or,
2: you know, or at least end it quickly. I don't know. I can go either way on that one. I feel like you left this in there just to see if I could say it with a
1: straight face. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know you were going to be doing it. So it was really more about trolling Peter. But, last but time The opportunity. Time, yeah. And then, then this new opportunity arose that we get to troll you instead. So
3: that works out well. Yeah, you know, I was doing this till about, what, two hours
1: yeah. ago? Yeah. So, that's why we roll here at the Cloud Pod On your toes. For listeners of the Cloud Pod, you know that I have no love for Microsoft Active Directory, which is why I'm excited to tell you about the leading cloud directory platform, JumpCloud. JumpCloud makes it easy to solve today's IT challenges by unifying device and user management through a single pane of glass, enabling you to securely manage your users and devices and perform common tasks like onboarding and offboarding remote workers. With JumpCloud, you no longer need to implement an on-premise Active Directory infrastructure or additional tooling to scope a user's access, and you can ensure that the user is coming from trusted devices and networks. Enabling JumpCloud's zero-trust solutions improves the security and compliance of your network, ensuring users have access only to the services they need when they need them. To start your organization's move to a modern, secure hybrid work model, try JumpCloud for free today at cloud.jumpcloud.com slash the cloud That's cloud.jumpcloud.com slash the cloud
3: AWS Storage Gateway adds support for AWS PrivateLink for Amazon S3 and Amazon S3 Access Oh, employees. We found why
1: we needed the cost savings above, because that's going
2: to get expensive. <laughs> yeah, then we can double dip on the services and pay twice. Yeah, Thanks, Amazon.
1: But we're going to give you a discount, so you don't feel so bad about it. But only above one petabyte. Well, trust me, with Amazon Storage Gateway, you're going to be above one petabyte. <laughs> <laughs>
3: AWS Firewall Manager now supports central monitoring of VPC routes for
2: AWS Network Firewall. So you know that network problem that you didn't know you had? Now uh, you can see it.
1: <laughs> well, and worse, the f- now the security person knows that you have the problem because they're the <laughs> ones who use Firewall Manager. <laughs>
3: <laughs> AWS System Manager Application Manager now supports full lifecycle management of AWS CloudFormation templates and stacks. Okay, I'm going to
1: put that in my null safety from earlier. <laughs> Because,
2: wow, that's a lot, of words. A lot to, of words. They need to manage the life cycle of that stupid name and retire that.
3: Yeah, I get all yeah, yeah, that's,
2: that's it. it. Yep. I mean, it was hard to track because if you're a random station,
3: I, <laughs> I was like, I don't know where he's going. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you invited me last second.
2: I'm gonna mess with you guys that's a little. fine. Bit. It's fine the way this fine. goes. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's extra challenge. I love it.
3: I feel like I should give the point to Sarah because she, you know, really came out strong on the on doing this.
2: Great. A few chuckles here there and.
3: Yeah.
4: Funny. Yeah. Not quite prepared for this one. Need a little more than you know five minutes.
2: <laughs> okay. Next time you'll get seven. <laughs>
3: So you've been given what two months now
4: before we'll I'll have to prepare for that.
3: Yeah, just be prepared. We'll talk about it and things coming up once Matt awards a point.
4: And you can't give it to Sarah.
3: Sorry. All right. I'll give it to Ryan. Yes. He, he seems like he's having a sad day.
4: <laughs> Pity
2: point. I will
4: take it. Well, he has a Christmas shirt on. So
2: <laughs> This is how this is how bad it is on laundry I am right now, is I do have a Christmas shirt on. I noticed it is that earlier. It is that low. I'm like, oh, I really have to do laundry now.
4: It's like I love it. It's awesome. Is that Pac-Man, like eating Christmas trees? Yeah. Like a Pac-Man Christmas ball. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I feel like when you guys send this out, you need to send a picture of Ryan's shirt so everyone
1: understands this. I will try to find a picture for the show notes. Yeah. All right. Well, there are things coming up. Once again, uh, we won't mention the security summit because it's coming out the day that we launch this episode out. So, uh, but hopefully, you know, maybe Sarah will be at the Google Cloud uh, Security Summit on July twentieth, the virtual one, of course. And then on the following week, the Retail and Consumer Goods Summit uh, will be happening on the Google Cloud space. I don't think they've updated their blog post. Uh, they keep lying to us. That's frequently updated. It's Occasionally updated is how I would describe it uh, at this point. Yeah, nothing, nothing new at this point. Uh, That'll be available for you on demand, though. If you did miss the security summit, I'm sure it'll be available on the website uh, shortly after that. Uh, AWS reinforce is rapidly approaching. We are just about a month and a week away from everyone boiling in Houston, and oh. so uh, that is going to be everyone's to look forward to that. And then, of course, Reinvent coming up in November. Uh, you know, as usual after Thanksgiving, which is always great. Uh, that's all I've got. But I think uh, some of our guest hosts here have some additional things coming up that they like to share.
4: Is the rodeo going to be at, the, at reInvent at the same time as it was like last year?
2: Typically, it's the week after, but I, yeah, I didn't look that up.
4: Because that was awesome.
2: I always like the, the intermix of, you know, the reInvent <laughs> crowd that's leaving Vegas and the rodeo people coming in. It is, it is <laughs> a fun time. It's
1: December 2nd through the 11th. So yes, it is. Do uh, you guys want to share your things coming up?
4: Yeah, so um, uh, SneakCon twenty twenty one is a free virtual conference that's coming up October fifth through the seventh. So go ahead and check that out. They're going to talk about the roadmap, um, and they're going to do some deep dives on um, in training as well as uh, regulatory stuff.
1: So you said you said it as SneakCon. So you think it's Sneak? So I I see it as Snake. Well, you know, and then I heard someone say Snake the other day on how yeah. they pronounce this. So I, I think the first part of their conference should be just explaining how to say their <laughs> name properly.
4: Well, uh, I did Google it recently because I wasn't sure either. I've heard it snake, Sneak, but apparently one of the co-founders um, calls it Sneak. How you get Sneak out of that? I'm not entirely I mean, sure. I,
1: I, I kind of can see it. And if I squint okay. at it, I kind of get where Sneaky and security kind of play together. So that's, mm-hmm. I kind of get oh, it. Yeah.
4: That's, well, I, I, that's so now fair. you
2: know.
1: Now I know for the future. Now I know. Now
4: right. I know.
1: Where are yeah. you being on the
3: show? Just to explain that to me. So. <laughs> Matt, do you have something coming up? Yeah, HashiConf is coming up um, in October. I think, I think it's October 19th through 22nd. Um, and I'm always just excited to see what HashiCorp comes out with, you know, with all their new tools and their platforms they're building. Um, and I'm always just curious to see where their next products are going.
1: I'm curious to see if they come up with something new this year because they kind of came out of nowhere last year with Boundary, which is pretty awesome. So curious to see how that
3: you know anyone using it yet? No, I mean, it just,
1: it just hit the point where it was really even beta testable at like two. I think they have three out now. So it's, you know, I would like to play with it. Um, apparently Slack is getting a new feature where you're going to be able to share a video, uh, like kind of like you do in Discord. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Discord, but Discord's for gamers. Uh, but you can basically do a screen share and kind of like a live Twitch streaming kind of thing, but right side in Discord. So you'll be able to do that in Slack. So um, it may be something that I try actually and do a Slack uh, share when that feature comes available to Slack uh, for the CloudPod room, so uh, you can watch me stumble through trying to make boundary work and read the documentation and comment about the documentation in li- real live time because uh, I've never tried it and I'm curious how it goes. So we'll see.
3: Well, that's awesome. I'm looking forward to the live time to the real time dump of Justin being frustrated at the, at a service. Yeah, I mean, a
1: real live. Uh, Justin is a thing. So there you go. So something for our listeners, if you're on our Slack channel, to check out. Well, thanks guys for joining us on Last Minute. Uh, We appreciate both of you uh, for joining us and adding your contributions. Uh, We would love to have you guys on again. I know we'll have Sarah on for Reinforce uh, for all her security insights and all things they're going to do at Reinforce. Uh, Actually, I did forget about the Amazon Summits. So apparently, uh, you know, we thought Summit season was over. uh, Uh, But but apparently, they're, they're doing a second round of Summits uh, this summer, and they actually scheduled the U.S. one at the same time as the Reinforce Summit. So uh, apparently, they don't have a lot of confidence in Reinforce, and so they're doing a AWS Summit at the same time, virtual event, of course, in August. August twenty fourth through the twenty sixth is the Summit online. So I don't know what that's about. That was a little weird. Kind of came out of left field, and I thought we were already out of Summit season. So uh, slightly strange. Maybe Reinforce is expanding its its thought process a little
4: bit. So, Hopefully so. they took some of our uh, feedback into account last year, right? And they do a little more technical deep dives and not so high level. Well,
1: that was two years ago. So they've completely forgotten all of our feedback because last year was COVID oh, year. Oh, that's true. Last year <laughs> yeah. was
4: COVID. Jeez. It
1: was the before
4: times. The before the, before the COVID reinforced mm-hmm. <laughs> in yeah. Massachusetts.
1: Yes, which was awesome. And then they moved it to uh, Houston in August, which is mm-hmm. never that's good. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, well thanks again for coming and we'll talk to you guys all next week here at the CloudPod Bye everybody Bye, Bye thanks. thanks And that is the week in the cloud We'd like to thank our sponsors Foghorn Consulting and JumpCloud Check out our website, the home of the CloudPod where you can join our newsletter, Slack team and send feedback or ask questions at thecloudpod.net or tweet us with the hashtag thecloudpod